0: Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
1: Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Um, I am. Again, recording a sermon that was previously preached at Go Forth Baptist Church. I am now the pastor of Go Forth Baptist Church in Loosedale, Mississippi. I would love to have you come and visit and come see us sometime. The purpose of this sermon is to continue our study through the Book of Romans. There were uh, about three sermons that that I preached that were not recorded, and we want to make sure to have all the recordings for the Book of Romans together and um And so I'm going back to record those to make sure that those are available. We'll be in Romans chapter 1. And uh, this is a sermon I have preached before. It may even be on the podcast already. uh, But it is certainly worth preaching again. It's an incredible idea that God has put in his word that we should all take to heart. So let's read together from Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the idea that we're going to look at today and what I hope to impress upon your minds, my mind, it's an incredibly important idea and concept from the Word of God that. I'm afraid, is lacking in our churches and that we need, we desperately need to grasp. And so I pray you'll follow along with me as best you can, and the Lord will help us to to trust him in these things. When you you make your way through the Bible and you go from, you're moving through the Old Testament, uh, of course, we, we could make many notes of what you will encounter as you as you progress through the Old Testament, and you make your way to the end of Malachi. By the time you get to the end of the book of Malachi, God is angry with Israel. He's frustrated with Israel. And he says, I have nothing else to say to you until Elias comes. Well, that, that brings us to the New Testament. That brings us to the four Gospels. You get to the four Gospels and John the Baptist, Jesus said of John the Baptist, Uh, that that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elias, and if you will receive him, he he is Elias. That's that's the coming that we're talking about. And of course, John the Baptist introduced us to Jesus Christ. He prepared the way for the forerunner. And and then we we land square in the four Gospels. And, And we understand the four Gospels are a transition book, a transitionary book. We often call it a bridge. And it's taking us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, in the process of doing that, what, what happens is the, the Old Testament is fading away, but it's still there. And the New Testament is emerging. It's, it's coming. It's being introduced. It's, it's being made manifest. But according to Hebrews 9, the New Testament doesn't begin until the death of the testator Jesus Christ is that testator. So on a very technical level, on a very technical basis, the New Testament begins with the death of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. No problem there, right? Well, we we, we go through the New Testament. We go through the four Gospels. We get to the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And there are numerous things to learn in the four Gospels, but it's, it's progressing. It's taking us toward the New Testament. It's moving us in that direction. Then we get to the book of Acts, another bridge, another transition. In the four gospels, the Lord told the apostles, uh, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to teach you all things. (laughs) I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to send you out to get some practice. Then the Lord rises from the dead. in In the first chapter of Acts, he says, well, wait here for the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving. And you need to go figure this out. Go do what I taught you. And as you go through the book of Acts, uh, they're being sent to preach to a group of people who for 4,000 years have been worshiping in accord with the law of Moses. And now a group of men are showing up and telling them, you don't have to do that anymore. All you got to do is is trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. (laughs) And if they don't have signs that follow, which praise the Lord, he did give them signs to follow. Again, all part of the book of Acts. As New Testament Christianity is being established, as, as the Lord is is ripping away the law of Moses from the Jews, and He's ripping away the the pagan religions of the Gentiles, and in exchange for that, they they trust in Jesus Christ. Right? That that's it's a it's a transition, and it's it's taking us to the New Testament. Now, the book of Acts is in the New Testament, but but it's we don't. Necessarily build our doctrine from the book of Acts. We don't gain our, we don't get doctrine for the book of Acts, though there are plenty of things to learn for the New Testament Christian in the book of Acts. That, that's, that's, we're not, um, we're not cutting that book out of our Bible. We just want to use it properly. All right. Then after the book of Acts, the first thing, the first book we come to is the Epistle to the Romans. And it's an incredible book. It, it is without a doubt, one of the most foundational books in all of the Word of God. It, it explicitly defines in the most clear, concise, and incredible manner what New Testament Christianity is. It, it covers everything. I mean, it just, it, 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 it's, it's so clear and definitive. It's the first book that God gives us when we land in the New Testament epistles. When we get to the epistles... Now we're in doctrine. Now we are square in the place where the New Testament church is to, is to search for what it believes, what it's going to do, where it's going to go, how it's going to accomplish all these things. We get it all from right there. New Testament, New Testament epistles. And the very first one that we're given is the book of Romans. Now, what, this is what's incredible. If you ask people about the book of Romans... What's in the book of Romans? What's the book of Romans about? They can tell you about justification. They can tell you about the atonement. They can tell you about it. all these incredible doctrines that, that systematic theologians love to write about and go on and on about. It's all there, and they know it. Homosexuality is dealt with in chapter 1. Reprobates are dealt with in chapter 1. Justification by faith in chapters 3, 4, and 5. I mean, just all these, what's going to happen to the future, the future of Israel in in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the the battle in the flesh in chapters 6, 7, and 8, you know, the the new man versus the, you know, the the flesh, the body that we remain in, all, all all these incredible things are in the book. But the very first thing gets left out. The very first idea that God wants to introduce us to, when you come to the book of Romans, they pass right by it. I mean, who actually studies the introduction to a book? <laughs> it's just something you read real fast, get past it, and get down to God, uh, God being angry with homosexuals, right? Who, who wants to go through the introduction to a letter? Nobody. And it shows. Because the very first thing that God wanted us to know, you have the Apostle Paul who, who was given this book. He didn't write it, but he was, it was delivered to him. And uh, by way of revelation, Tertius wrote the book. You get that in Romans 16. Uh, and that, that's not a big deal. That's, that's common. That's the way it was done in the, in the Bible. If you look at Jeremiah and Barak, uh, God gave his word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah gave it to Baruch. Baruch wrote it down. So it's not uncommon. It's it's a a normal thing. It's part of the process. But the first thing God wants us to know is about the Apostle Paul. And and in accord with that, we have done a a um, two-part series of sermons on on a quick biographical sketch of the Apostle Paul, who he is and, and what he was about, where he came from, where he's going, all those good things. But then the next thing God wants you to know is that you're supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And... If you have taken Christianity serious in any way in your life, you know that this is missing. You know that this is a problem. You know that there is an issue here. You're supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You're not supposed to live unto yourself. You're not supposed to live for yourself. This life is not about you, it's not about me. You're supposed to be a servant. You are supposed to serve others on behalf of Jesus Christ. You are supposed to serve Jesus Christ himself. And it's not being done. And it's a horrendous issue. And I'm going to demonstrate to you before this is over with why that is. The Bible is very clear about what happens when there is a servant of Jesus Christ and what happens when there is no servant of the Lord? And, and we're going to look at that. Now, let's just look at the way God thinks about those who serve him. And in a couple of places, the Lord gave a commendation to those who served him. He, he spoke very highly of those who are in service to him. Uh, let's start in Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at a couple, and then we'll look at why this is so important, why it's so detrimental. Philippians 2, verse 1 If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man... Also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the passage opens, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort Of love, If any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, is there any consolation in Christ? Are you, does it console you to know that you're in Christ Jesus? Does it comfort you to know that you're in Christ Jesus? Does it help you in any way? (laughs) Or is it just an intellectual acknowledgement and you move on and it makes no difference in your life? That, That should not be the case. There is a level of help and comfort that should be made available to you by knowing that you're in Christ Jesus. But then look at verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. All right. So here's where the battle... You want to be a servant of Jesus Christ? This is the issue. The word servant, if you look up the definition... It means voluntary subjection to a master. <laughs> it means that you, you volunteer to subject yourself to Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to make you. Nobody's going to force you. Now, the, the battle for that, for the battle for your willingness to volunteer is in the mind. Everything that the, that the Lord's telling you to do here, to be like Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's a battle of, of the mind. You're going to have to take, the Lord's saying that there is a mindset that exists in you. You're going to have to get rid of that mindset and exchange it for the mind of Jesus Christ and the way that Jesus Christ lived and operated. It's up to you to do that. You're, you're doing the letting. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's going to make you. As as the pastor of Go Forth Baptist Church, I can't force you. I can't push it upon you. All I can do is teach you what God says about it, and then it's up to you from there. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? There is a a mindset. There is a way of thinking. there, There is a way that Jesus Christ did things, and God says, I want you to get rid of the way you do things and think about things, and in exchange for that, I want you to do what my son does. Look look back at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, that's enough to get us in a lot of trouble. Have you seen Facebook or I mean, I don't even know what social media is available anymore these days. Um, I, I guess I never thought I'd get to the point where I've lost touch with social media and, and what's available. But I, I believe I certainly have. <laughs> People put up 10,000 selfies of themselves. They put, now it's not even selfies. Now it's videos of themselves. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we went out to eat somewhere in Uganda, even in Uganda when we were there. There was a woman sitting off to the side. She brought a tripod, had a camera on it, and was videoing herself eat her food so that everybody, she could put it online somewhere on on some social media site and let everybody see what she was doing and how she was doing it. (laughs) That's amazing to me. We thought that was the craziest thing, uh, but it's pretty common. People don't esteem others better than themselves, they want you to know, and they, they demand that you agree that they are wonderful. That's, that's where we are in our society. I have a social media account so that I can put up 10,000 selfies and videos of me doing absolutely nothing in life and accomplishing absolutely nothing in life, and I want you to look at it and be happy about it. No, thank you. <laughs> Not going to happen. And, and, then, and then when you know, they're, they're told that the philosophy of this world is if you're having emotional trouble, if you're suffering from depression, anxiety, um, if, if, if you're struggling in any way, mentally or emotionally, you just need to ha- have higher self-esteem. They say that the problem is you, you're, the way that you esteem yourself is too low. You need to elevate that. Well, that, that's interesting because what God said is that you're supposed to esteem others better than yourself. And, and so the world keeps telling you and the world keeps telling itself, just esteem yourself higher. Think more highly of you. And if you will do that, then at some point you'll think so highly of yourself, you'll be happy. And, and the more they think of themselves, the more miserable they become. The more depressed they are, the more angst they are. It doesn't solve the problem. It increases the problem because they, they begin to think so highly of themselves and they and they don't understand why you don't see it. <laughs> don't you know how great I am? Well, I need you to go like it and share it and, and make sure that everybody knows how wonderful I am. And if you don't do that, then I'm not going to be happy. And, and so that means I got to do it more. Until you you get in line and think of me as great as I do. The Bible says you're supposed to esteem others, not yourself. There's no doubt there are people in this church who have troubles, marriage troubles, money troubles, emotional troubles, sin troubles. And they need you to think highly of them. They need you to esteem them. They need you to lift them up and to help them. And and instead, the world is focused on itself. Look at verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but but every man on the things of others. Let this mind, here we go again, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, Again, you're doing the letting. It's up to you. God is telling you, and he's going to lay it out after verse 5. He's going to start telling you what that mindset was, and it's all All of it, humility, obedience, servitude. (laughs) None of it is, look at me, I'm wonderful, I'm great, which in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'd all be true. But that's not what he did. He thought of you more than he thought of himself. Therefore, he allowed them to crucify him. That's amazing. Praise God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Now, what was that mind? You see that that verse 5 ends with a colon, which connects us to verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but, okay, is he God? Yes. Is he equal with God? Yes. Now, what comes with that reality? Greatness, perfection, sinlessness, righteousness, holiness, all these wonderful things that come with that they, they, they could all be found in Christ Jesus. Whatever, whatever God the Father has, Christ was not lacking in any way. But then look again at what it says. Look, look back at verse 7. But <laughs> are, you, are you great? Are you elevated in society? Have you accomplished some things in life? Are you wonderful? Some people, it, it, it may be true. They may be. But let's see what the mind of Christ did, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Hebrews said that he was not made in the likeness of angels. He took on the form of a man. He could have come. There's so many options available to him. He could have come to earth in the form of an angel I mean he didn't have to come all the way down to the to the lowliness of a of a dirty man <laughs> but he did and he volunteered for it can you volunteer to serve him he volunteered to serve you gave himself for you and he's not asking you to die he's asking you to live for him he's not asking you to die for him but made himself of no reputation took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, here's what's amazing. All right. He did all of that. He, he became obedient, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, came in the likeness of man, became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. He did, he did all those things. It was after he did all of that. Look at verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. After he did those things, that's that's that, that word, wherefore, we often talk about. You often hear preachers say, what's the wherefore? Therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's kind of a transitioning, it's kind of a summarizing word. Because he did all that, God exalted him. And, and and it's it's so opposite today. What people do today is is they just show up and expect you to exalt them. <laughs> here I am. You're probably happy I'm here. Exalt me. And and that's not that's not how it works. Um, your your humility, your service to others, is what encourages us to exalt you and and to think highly of you. Your your failure to do that causes us to think otherwise <laughs> and and you don't want to get it you don't want to get it you know confused because it it could, it could provide for some awkward situations where someone has to inform you you're not what you think you are and and the bible has a lot to say about thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to think and we don't want to do that i don't want to do that i don't want you to do that i don't want you to have to have a conversation with me because i have suddenly began to think more highly of myself than I ought to think, and i don 't want to have to have a conversation with you because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think let's just not do that let 's humble ourselves together let 's esteem each other higher than we esteem ourselves let's let's become servants and serve one another and and then there'll be unity and harmony and and everybody's needs will be met and and everyone will be taken care of that that's how it works that's that's what God wants us to do, and so we need to be careful to do that. Let's look at Romans 16. Let's have a look at Phoebe and see what God says about her. Romans 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Synchria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she had been a succorer of many, and of myself also. And so what's incredible is if you, if you have a, um, a, a 1611 style um, King James Bible, if you have you know, a, a pure Cambridge edition, you'll see the footnote at the bottom that was provided by the translators, which says, Written to the Romans from Corinthus, uh, and sent by Phoebe, Servant of the church at Synkria. So, if that's true, which I have no reason to think it's not, it's not scripture, but it, the, the translators the translators put it there because it added extra context, and and uh, where they were able to, you know, it was trustworthy enough that and noteworthy enough that they included it as a footnote in, in our Bibles. That means that God used Phoebe to take the letter to the Romans from Synkria to Rome. That's pretty incredible. And when she got there, he added a note in the book of Romans that said that this woman has been a servant in her church. She has not been a selfish, self-centered human being. She has esteemed everyone else above herself. She has been a servant of others. And because of that, when she gets there, when she gets to Rome you're going to make sure you take care of all her needs. I don't want her to want for anything. When she gets to Rome, you're going to take care of her. Now, again, that's exactly the opposite of what people do today. People, they don't go to church. They don't come to church. They just know that church is full of people who are supposed to think highly of others. And so they show up randomly having wasted their lives, having wasted their money, having wasted everything and they show up and they say well you're a church you should help pay my electric bill i don't know who you are i'm not taking the money of the people who faithfully attend here and faithfully work hard and give their money on behalf of this church to make sure that things are moving and going on well i'm not we're not taking their money and giving it to you for no reason i don't know who you are i don't know why you uh I don't know why you're in the situation you're in. You want to sit down and talk about it? We can try to help you. And they'll get angry. Well, how dare you? You should just give me the money. Well, where were you Saturday night? If you were at a bar, why don't you go ask the bar for money? Why don't you go back to wherever it was on Sunday, wherever you were on Sunday, because you were not here, and ask those people to give you money. Now, if you had been here, you had been a servant in this church, you had given to this church, you had, you had uh, done, given your all to help keep this church up and going, then uh, sure, by all means, we want to help you out. But if you haven't, we have no obligation to help you. If you won't help yourself, nobody has an obligation to help you. In fact, if they help you, they will be contributing to your bad habits. And, and so we're, we're not going to do that. Phoebe was faithful. In her church, her local church, she wasn't faithful somewhere else. And her local church is like, well, she, I mean, she hadn't done anything here. Well, she says she gives to the homeless. Well, I mean, go ask them. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) If if you don't serve here, a part of your home church, how can we know who you are, what you're doing, you know, what you've been faithful to? But in Syncrria, she was she was faithful, so much so that God put it in the Word of God. This woman is faithful, and when she gets to Rome, you're going to make sure you you, you take care of all her needs. Praise the Lord. That's incredible. That's that's in the Word of God for eternity. And that's who we want to be. Now, let me show you why this is so essential, why this is so important. Look at Joshua chapter 1, and, and we'll make two quick stops and we'll close. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1 an interesting idea we're going to be introduced to. Two two interesting ideas. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, mm, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying. So the first idea is that Moses gave his life to serve God. And what the Lord said about him at the end of his life is, he is the servant of the Lord. Praise God. That's incredible. It's wonderful. Moses is the servant of the Lord. God said he gave himself. He, he, he uh, put his hand to serving me. He is my servant. That's wonderful. That's good. It's, it's good. Now, Joshua, the second concept is that Joshua obviously saw something in Moses and his service to God that inspired him to want to say, I'm going to do whatever Moses wants. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to let him teach me. I'm going to let him lead me. I'm going to let him direct me. And so what God said about Joshua that he was Moses' minister. The word minister, if you look at the definition, it doesn't just mean servant. It means Chief servant. It means you so excel at serving that you are the chief servant. And and we could look at numerous examples all through the book of Numbers and and Deuteronomy, where Moses is telling Joshua, go here, go there, do this, do that, and Joshua's on it. No arguing, no fighting. Um, he He just does it. It's a blessing. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's good. A lot to learn from that. And so Moses is the servant of the Lord, but the servant of the Lord has died. And so God says, who's been serving the servant of the Lord? That's who I'm going to go to next. In fact, who was the chief servant of the servant of the Lord? That's, that's who I'm going to turn to next, who I'm going to get my instruction to next, so that, so that this work can carry on. But let, let's see how it ended. Look at Joshua Joshua 24, verse 29, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. There it is. So he was serving Moses, who was the servant of the Lord. But God said, because of that, I'm going to use him next to carry on this work for the nation of Israel. And at the end of his life, because of his faithfulness to serve God... God said, there's Joshua, the servant of the Lord. He's not the servant of Moses anymore. He's the servant of the Lord. And, and there's something to that that's hard for young men to take and hard for young men to grasp. I don't want to serve somebody else. I don't, I don't want to have a pastor uh, rule over me in any way. I don't want him to direct my life. or, or uh, and, and, and a lot of pastors today don't want to do that. And... You know, it, it's it, there, There's a catch to it all. There's a there's a trade-off to it all, and it all needs to be considered properly and rightly. And 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 it's all through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is directing uh, Titus, and he's directing Timothy, and he's dir- he's directing all these men, telling them where to go and what to do, and they do it. But nobody wants to do that today because the pastor doesn't want to be responsible for directing, and the young men who serve under him don't want to be directed. (laughs) And so it's a mess. It makes no sense. Now, Paul told Apollos, he wrote to the church. I believe it was a church at Corinth. He said, I asked Apollos to come to you, but he was busy doing something else. Apollos said no. (laughs) And it wasn't a rebuke. It was just that Paul said, Apollos, I need you to go here and do this. And Apollos said, brother, I'm serving the Lord here. I'm not available to do that. Okay, move on. Go to the next guy. Who's the next person available? Timothy, Titus, you know, uh, Silvanus, uh, who, Tychicus, whoever, whoever. Who's available that I can send to take care of this on my behalf? And, and Paul had, had young men around him that, who were able to do that. And, and Lord willing, we hope to have the same here. Now, now let me show you why this is so essential. Look at verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. You see that? Okay, so if there is a servant of the Lord, the people will serve the Lord. If there is a servant of the Lord, the people will follow. If there is a servant of the Lord and there's a young man serving the servant of the Lord, then someone is being prepared to take his place if he falls off the scene, if he dies, if he moves on, whatever the case may be. If there is a servant of the Lord, people will follow and they will serve the Lord even after the servant of the Lord is gone. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But, but what's the next book of the Bible? Judges, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. And it was a total, complete mess. God had to raise up judges to try and keep these people under control and give them some direction, and it was, it was a miserable failure. It was horrible. There are things in the book of Judges. You know, what my family and I, every night... We have family altar. We, we read one chapter from the book of the Bible. We, we sing a hymn together. We read one chapter from the book of the Bible together. And uh, then my wife uh, tries to keep some um, devotional books that are good for children that, that, that would just help reinforce what they're reading in the Bible. And uh, she'll usually read one of those, a chapter from one of those. And then we pray together. And, you know, it, it's it's a blessing to go through the Word of God that way. But I, I Lord willing, the way we're doing it, by the, by the time Bethany and Adrian each reach the age of 18, if I, I, I did the math a while ago, I don't remember the exact number, but we will have read through the entire Bible together by the time they're 18 years old. It was either three times or five times, some, something like that. Which means we're going to go together through the book of Judges multiple times. And I don't know if you've read through the book of Judges. But some of the most horrendous things you can imagine are written in that book. Because there was no servant of the Lord. And if there's no servant of the Lord here, and there's no no servant of the Lord where you are, the people are not going to follow. You're going to have the book of Judges. You're not going to have the book of Joshua. And it's up to you which one you want. You just... Do your part, serve God, let his mind be in you, esteem others better than yourself, be like Phoebe and be like Paul and serve God. And then we we can be okay. But if nobody's going to do that, or if only a fraction of the people are going to do that, we're not going to be okay. As a society, as a country, as a family, as a church, we're not going to be okay. We need servants of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll choose to be one. It's a voluntary matter. Volunteer to serve the Lord today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. God bless you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.pleniusredemption.com. You can hear more Plenius Redemption podcast audio at www.pleniusredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenius Redemption podcast.